to Remember Twilight, a literary podcast covering all aspects of the Twilight Saga. On Remember Twilight, we talk about all things openly. Mental health, relationships, sex, religion, fashion. We also understand that there are conversations that will come up that we might not be able to do justice. We want to include as much diversity as we can, so if you'd like to share your perspective with our audience, please message us. Oh, and fair warning, we are not spoiler-free. I wondered if I ever would have gone astray if I had not met Siobhan and others like her. If I had been aware that every other creature like myself, we'd not yet stumbled across Tanya and her sisters, thought the same way Carlisle lived was ludicrous. If I had only known Carlyle and never discovered another code of conduct, I think I would have stayed. It made me ashamed that I'd let myself be influenced by others who were never Carlyle's equals. But I'd envied their freedom, and I'd thought it would and I'd thought I would be able to live above the moral abyss they all sank to. Because I was special. I shook my head at the arrogance. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. My name is Emily. My name is Marin. And this is Remember, Remember Twilight. Twilight. Still new, nope, not new moon. What the heck? Still midnight sun. I can't go back to new moon. <laughs> no. Don't take me back there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week, we're talking about chapter 20, Carlisle. Carlisle. I know him. I love him. And last week, we were getting the tour of the house from Edward himself. Bella saw a cross. Edward told her a story. Bella wanted more of the story. And so here we are in the hall, walking back to Carlisle's office. Going into daddy's room. Oh, what? What? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Me. Okay. Me. Um, anyway... <laughs> They pause outside of the door. Carlisle says, come in. And so Edward takes Bella inside and she uh, starts looking at everything in freaking Carlisle's office because hello, cool stuff to look at in there. Um, Everything is darker, a deep mahogany. And Edward tells us that 
Carlisle does this because it reminds him of his first house. Cute. I just, I am um, almost overwhelmed with, like, adoration for Carlisle after reading this today. Just, he is a, he's a, he's a sentimental guy. He loves all of his nostalgia and all of his stuff that he holds on to. And I think that's part of what makes him so special and makes him, I can tell that that's the kind of person he was before he became a vampire is that he just like really deeply cares about sentimental items and things, even stuff he doesn't necessarily like he'll still keep because it reminds him of something. But I think he does like this, like, old wooden walls. I mean, I'm sure he had the walls paneled. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah. cute. So Bella's looking at all of Carlisle's books. He's got a library in there. Yeah. And Edward's like, oh, I know her enough to know that this has got to be a dream. <laughs> <laughs> so Carlisle, he's sitting at his desk and he's reading something and he marks the page in the book he's reading why (laughs) nostalgia he just likes the act of placing a bookmark (laughs) i never even would have thought of that but you're so right it's just his hobby this is it's his habit like all right this is not necessary i will mark this page and close my book i think if i became a vampire i would also still want to use a bookmark just because it's cute that's cute for the aesthetic really cute And he then stands up and asks what he can do for them. Um, Edward, of course, knows that he's heard their entire conversation the entire time Bella has been here. um, And knows that they're there to look at his gallery. But um, it's fine. Bella doesn't know that. (laughs) Poor Bella. And Edward, Edward is certain that Carlisle does not mind him sharing this with Bella. And that he doesn't seem surprised that he would share everything with Bella. I mean, he knows Edward more than anybody else. And I sure, you know, he's like, once you find somebody that you want to be with forever, you want to share every part of your life with them. And it's important to Carlisle because he's smart. He knows that Bella needs transparency and information. I wish everybody else knew that. (laughs) Honestly. Uh, So Edward is like, I wanted to show Bella some of our history, more specifically yours. And Bella's like, I'm sorry if we disturbed you. (laughs) And Carla's like, no, it's fine. Where are you going to start? And Edward says, the Wagoner. (laughs) Bragoner. (laughs) So he grabs Bella by the shoulder and gives her a little turn around to face the door. Um, (laughs) And... Edward can hear her heart give a little flutter when he touches her. He's touching me. But then Carlisle hears it too, and he just... <laughs> a silent laugh from Carlisle. And he goes, interesting. <laughs> Carlisle, you sly old dog, you... Sly-lyle. Sly-lyle. Fella... <laughs> uh, wide and of the eye as she looks at this wall and Edward gets it because this wall has 73 (laughs) miscellaneous painting paper mache uh, ink work all sorts of things uh, just all on one wall puzzle pieced together and Bella cannot figure out what to look at. Listen this gallery wall is my 
goals. I've got probably 10 or 20 maps as of now. And my only goal, I and I just I just need to like start buying like one frame at a time yeah. is to have my whole staircase which is it's prominent in my front room is the staircase is just all maps of a gallery wall of that so cool so that's what I'm like Carlisle yeah thank you for the inspiration <laughs> so Edward grabs Bella by the hand and takes her over to the side Carlisle follows them and Carlisle has it arranged so everything at the beginning is on the left <laughs> and it's like a chronological collage uh, across the wall. Definitely cool. They start looking at this one piece, which is monochromatic and map-like, mostly because it is a map. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of the very few originals that had survived the centuries. Incredible. What a uh, amazing piece in your collection. Want. So Edward's like, that is London in the 1650s. And Carlisle goes, the London of my youth. Will you do your Carlisle voice? I don't know how to do it. <laughs> the London of my youth. That's, that's the one. <laughs> Bella flinches a little bit because she didn't hear Carlisle come over. So Edward gives her his hand squeeze and he thinks to himself, this house was a strange place for her to be, but nothing here would hurt her. Mm. Edward asks Carlyle if he'll tell the story, and he thinks to him, Oh, I'm sorry. I wish I could. <laughs> but he actually just smiles at Bella and tells her, <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> I would. I don't want to lose all of our British followers. <laughs> Especially because Rosie's here right now. <laughs> She's offended, as you should be. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, he tells her, I would, but I'm actually running a bit late. The hospital called this morning. Dr. Snow is taking a sick day. Besides, you know the stories as well as I do. This is the most offensive lie that Carlisle ever tells, in my I opinion. Know. You're not late. <laughs> He's not late. He was sitting there reading a book. He's obviously just going to go downstairs to give them privacy. And in like two minutes, Alice is like, I'm going to go get Carlisle to come play baseball with us. Mm -hmm. Liar. Freaking liar. Just say, no, you do it. I'm going to go downstairs. You guys are being all cute. I'm going to just leave. <laughs> <laughs> so Carlisle smiles and leaves and they look back. They turn back to the paintings and she asks what happens next when he realized what had happened to him. And Edward starts to look at this bigger painting, which is very gloomy with oppressive clouds and whatever. And Carlisle found this piece and stole it. <laughs> I know. There's no explanation. He liked it. He wanted it. He took it. What's the song? The I TikTok? see it. I like it. I want it. I got it. <laughs> it I think. was Carlisle. <laughs> he Ariana Grande'd this. He did. Um, because he simply found it by looking through the window of um what it just in scotland he's looking in there he's like all right that reminds me of something sad that happened to me <laughs> it's mine now thanks. he reached in he was like jean valjean <laughs> I'm <gonna take> that. <laughs> oh my gosh he even though it's a sad memory he's like gotta have this for my wall <laughs> and he feels a real connection to it because at least someone understood how sad he used to be. <laughs> Edward tells Bella that when he knew what he had become, he rebelled against it and he tried to destroy himself. And Bella gasps, how? 
Edward says he jumped from great heights. He tried to drown himself. It's amazing he was able to resist feeding while he was still so new. Because the instinct is more powerful then, and it takes over everything, but he was so repelled by himself that he had the strength to try and kill himself with starvation. And Bella asks if that is even possible. Is that possible? And Edward says, no, there are very few ways we can be killed. So he grew very hungry and eventually weak. <laughs> he saw Bella was about to ask a follow-up question, but not today, lady. <laughs> Uh, he says that... He just put his hand right <laughs> on her lips. Uh-huh. No, no, no. Nope. <laughs> so Carlisle got very hungry, very weak, left all places with people, just wandering around by night, hating himself. <laughs> we all can relate. <laughs> <laughs> and... Edward tells Bella about the night that Carlisle found a deer and everything changed for him and that he swam to France. He swam to France? That was my reaction too, Belle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's okay. People swim the channel all the time. Bella, and she's like, GP, it just sounded weird. And then Edward's like, he, 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 I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna give her something to think about. He says, swimming is easy for us. And she says, well, yes, everything is easy for you. And he smiles at her and says... Because, well, and then she's like, I won't interrupt. I'm sorry. But he just smiles at her and says, because technically we don't need to breathe. He's like, I've been trying to find a way to tell her this. And I finally can. Mm -hmm. I don't have to breathe. And then he puts his hand back on her lips and says, shh, 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 We promised. And she's like, lips on mouth. You can't spring something like that on me and expect me not to say anything. <laughs> he takes his hand off of her mouth and she says you don't have to breathe and he says no it's just a habit and she goes how long can you go without breathing and he says indefinitely I suppose I don't know he thinks to himself the longest I'd ever gone was a few days all of it underwater he doesn't want to tell Bella that story I want to know that story. A few days underwater, you say. Was this a, like, game? Was this a buried at sea situation? Like, Angel? I know I said that last time we did this chapter. Was this a, like, I just want to check it out and find out situation? You know, this was Emmett uh, and Jasper <laughs> made a bet of who could make Edward the saddest. <laughs> Someone won. Edward got so upset he was like, I'm going to the lake and I'm going to sit down there for a couple of days by myself. <laughs> they they just kept like dropping things in, like notes that they'd written on a rock. On a rock. Please come back. Drop. And he just chucks it back out of the water. <laughs> I'm so curious about his underwater days. Tell us, Edward. But he says it gets a little uncomfortable without being able to smell. And Bella's like, yes, of course. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> Edward's like, I thought this was funny, but um, it doesn't seem very funny to Bella anymore. So, well, that sucks. And then he's like, we're so different. Uh, we kind of look the same, but that's about it. She must feel how different we are. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to uh, stop touching her because my alien hands will disturb her. <laughs> She'll break up with me on the spot. <laughs> he looks at her. Uh, she's starting to look slightly less stressed, and she looks up at him, and then she's like, 
what's wrong? (laughs) (laughs) And he tells her, I keep waiting for it to happen. And she says, for what? And he goes, some, sometime, someday, some way, somehow, I'm going to say something and you're going to freak out and then you're going to run away and you're going to scream and I'm just going to let it happen. I want it to happen. Even though I want to be with you, uh, I want you to leave. (laughs) (laughs) And she just stands up a little straighter and goes, I'm not going anywhere. And he says, we'll see. So she's like, all right, Carlisle, swim into France. What happens next? (laughs) So he shows her the most gorgeous of all the paintings, the biggest one, the brightest one, the ugliest one. The sexiest one. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. There we are. Half of the people on the painting are having an orgy. Excuse me? The other half are killing each other. Edward Cullen. (laughs) The rest of them suspended above uh, judging. (laughs) (laughs) This is how it starts, too. Arrow is like, let's bring them in under the pretense. It's going to be a sex party. (laughs) And then they will kill each other. And then we can just eat them. We drop the knives in. (laughs) (laughs) Good grief. Uh, obviously a gift from Uncle Aro. Carlisle would never have chosen this, but... <laughs> Keeps it up anyway. When Uncle Aro gives you it something, is, you gotta keep it. It is in case he comes over. Mm-hmm. And he's like, where's my painting? And Carlisle's like, I keep it in my office so I can look at it every time I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. You know that's true. Um... <laughs> Carlisle, he does hate Uncle Aro, but he does keep it, so it's fine. Do you fine. think he keeps a, like, just like a napkin over it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's big, so it'd have to be a tablecloth, but he mm-hmm. just drapes a tablecloth over it while, yeah. when Aro isn't there. Most, I think, yeah, Esme keeps that up to date. She, like, changes <laughs> out the covering with the seasons. Oh, no. You, she has uh, a Christmas cover. She's an angel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Edward says that the Volturi had been kind to him in many ways. Plus, Esme does like to go and look at the tiny Carlisle hidden in it, too, sometimes. <laughs> He's cute. <laughs> I think the covering just has one hole where the Carlisle part is. Cute. So it's just black and then a little peekaboo Carlisle. Oh, that's really good. I almost said except for when he moves around because for some reason <laughs> I was like, Harry Potter portrait. This is a live painting. That's nope. Don't gotta worry about that. <laughs> good, good, really good. <laughs> Edward tells Bella about Carlisle's first few years in Europe. Bella just keeps looking at the painting. Edward starts to get real sentimental about talking about how Carlisle was so cute and that he deserves everything he's ever had and he, he's so proud of what Carlisle did. <laughs> <laughs> he's literally the best person I know. <laughs> He goes, I had always envied Carlisle's perfect control, but at the same time believed it was impossible for me to duplicate. I realized now that I'd chosen the lazy way in the path of least resistance, admiring him greatly, but never putting in the effort to become more like him. This crash course in restraint that Bella was teaching me might have been less fraught if I'd worked harder to improve myself in the last seven decades. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Good observation. Edward. Bella's staring at Edward now. Edward tells her that he was studying in Italy when he discovered more civilized vampires there. And Bella is still looking at this painting. And then she laughs and she's like, I've found Waldo. (laughs) (laughs) 
And Edward's like, yeah, okay, so these guys are Aro and Marcus and Caius. They make us call them the nighttime patrons of the arts. <laughs> they make us. <laughs> Bella's about to boop the Carlisle on it, but she doesn't. She just asks, like, what what's going on with them? He tells her that they are still there and they have been for who freaking knows how long. Carlisle was only there for a few decades. They tried to convince him to eat people. He can try, tried to convince them to not eat people. It was this whole blood-sucking <laughs> decision. This whole sucking thing. And finally, Carlisle was like, okay, bye. I'm going to go try to find other people who aren't so weird. <laughs> And Arrow has never gotten over it. Yes. <laughs> Edward goes through the rest of Carlisle's life very quickly. And, um, you know, Carlisle found me. He decided to change me. And here we are. And so she's like, so have you always stayed with Carlisle? And Edward's like, of course she would want to know this. <laughs> and he says, almost always. Puts a hand on her waist and out they go before she can ask more questions about that. But, of course, she says, almost. He sighs. He tells her about his rebellious phase. He just wasn't so sure about this whole life of abstinence and wanted to check some things out. Me too. <laughs> Bella is like, ooh, go on. And he's like... Um, okay, maybe she doesn't care about me killing people. Okay, well, so they go up the stairs. He asks her if she doesn't think it's gross. <laughs> and she goes, no. And he says, why? And she goes, I don't know. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Bella. <laughs> Um, he tells her, from the time of my new birth, I had the advantage of knowing what everyone around me was thinking, both human and non-human alike. That's why it took me 10 years to defy Carlyle. I could read his perfect sincerity and understand exactly why he lived the way that he did. And then Edward has this whole wondering about how if he had never met any other type of vampire, he wouldn't have wanted to leave. And how... He feels sad that he let them influence him when Carlisle's obviously the best. But uh, it took him only a couple years to come back. And Edward thinks about how depressed he was. <laughs> <laughs> um, he thought that he would be fine because he could skip over the innocent people and only kill the evil people. Because, you know, if you kill a killer, it's fine, right? Uh, he's not so sure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he goes, uh, well, he thinks to himself, there was a great many humans I'd saved this way. And yet it never seemed to balance out the tally. So many faces flashed through my memories, the guilty I'd executed and the innocence I'd saved. One face lingered, both guilty and innocent. Guilty. 100%. Hands down. This guy's guilty. I'm reading you this whole section. Yes, good. It's really good. It's so good, you guys. It's I read it this morning and I was like, I can't even. It's so good. Mm -hmm. I wanted this story. I wanted it for so long. Yeah. Mm, thank you, Stephanie. <clears throat> September 1930. It had been a very bad year. Everywhere, the humans struggled to survive bank failures, droughts, and dust storms. Displaced farmers and their families flooded cities that had no room for them. 
At the time, I'd wondered whether the pervasive despair and dread in the minds around me were a contributing factor to the melancholy that was beginning to plague me. But I think even then, I knew that my personal depression was wholly due to my own choices. I was passing through Milwaukee as I'd passed through Chicago, Philadelphia, Detroit, Columbus, Indianapolis, Minneapolis, Montreal, Toronto. Just call them out, Edward. (laughs) Jeez. City after city, and then returned over and over again, truly nomadic for the first time in my life. I'd never strayed farther south. I knew better than to hunt near the hotbed of newborn nightmare armies. (laughs) You weren't ready to meet Jasper. (laughs) Nor farther east, as I was also avoiding Carlisle, less for self-preservation and more out of shame in that case. Mm. I never stayed more than a few days in any one place, never interacted with the humans I wasn't hunting. After more than four years, it had become a simple thing to locate the mines I sought. I knew where I was likely to find them and when they were usually active. It was disturbing how easy it was to pinpoint my ideal victims. There were so many of them. Perhaps that was part of the melancholy, too. The minds I hunted were usually hardened to all human pity and most other emotions besides greed and desire. There was a coldness and a focus that stood out from the normal, less dangerous minds around them. Of course, it had taken most of them some time to reach that point where they saw themselves as predators first and anything else second. So there was always a line of victims I had been too late to save. I could only save the next one. Mm. (laughs) Me reading the rest of this chapter. I know. Well, (laughs) it is short, but it's so good. It's it's just it feels good. Mm -hmm. Ugh. It's all of our like murderino dream come true. Where you (laughs) Oh, go on. It's such a good story. It's so good. Scanning for such minds, I was able to tune out everything more human for the most part. But that evening in Milwaukee, as I moved quietly through the darkness, strolling when there were witnesses, running when there were not, a different kind of mind caught my attention. He was a young man, poor, living in the slums on the outskirts of the industrial district. He was in a state of mental anguish that intruded upon my awareness, though anguish was not an uncommon emotion in those days. But unlike the others who feared hunger, eviction, cold, sickness, want in so many forms, this man feared himself. I can't, I can't, I can't do this, I can't, I can't. It was like a mantra in his head repeating endlessly. It never resolved into anything stronger, never became I won't. He thought the negatives, but meanwhile he was planning. The man hadn't done anything yet. He'd only dreamed of what he wanted. He had only watched the girl in the tenement up the alley, never spoken to her. I was a bit flummoxed. I had never condemned anyone to death whose hands were clean, but it seemed likely this man would not have clean hands for long, and the girl in his mind was just a young child. Yeah, this is where it it crossed the line. I mean, like, it's always murder you know rape stuff like that never okay never like but when it it's it's just it's the classic story of like when it turns into it's it's a child done dead Mm -hmm. goodbye (laughs) unsure i decided to wait perhaps he would overcome the temptation i doubted it so edward's in the place where he's living there's this this other house that has had a collapsed roof and no one could inhabit the second floor, so that's where Edward was hiding out, and he stayed there for the next several days. 
um, watching the thoughts of everybody around it, and he finally found the girl's face who this guy was targeting. He found where she lived. He watched her through her day, and she didn't really go far. Her name was Betty. She's a baby. She's five. Mm-hmm. Ugh. This man was watching, too. He kept his distance in the daytime, uh, but at night, he would go outside her window, hide in the shadows, and watch the candle that they burned in the in the house, and he knew that when it was out, it was time to leave. Um, he found where the child would sleep, which was on a cushion that was just under the window, and even though it was getting cold at night, the smells in the house were unpleasant, and so they kept the windows open. And he just keeps thinking to himself, I can't, I can't, I can't. And even though he can't, he begins to collect supplies. He has a rope that he found in a gutter and some rags that he found on a clothesline. And ironically, Edward says he chose the house that Edward was staying in that had a collapsed space under the stairs to bring the child. Edward still waits, watching him. And he says that the hardest part that the man struggled with was that he would knew he would have to kill her afterwards. And so we now know that killing her was not the main objective. This man finds this to be distasteful and he doesn't want to think how he's going to do it, but he does. And he spends another week preparing. Edward is freaking bored and thirsty. <laughs> But he has a strict set of rules that he has created for himself and he will only punish the guilty and those who would grievously harm others if they were spared. Edward is kind of upset with this guy when he finally makes a decision and comes to do it. He has his ropes. He has his gags. Edward, still part of him, wants him to stay guiltless. I followed him to the open window where the child slept. He didn't hear me behind him, would not have seen me in the shadows if he had turned. The chanting in his head was over. He could. He had realized he could do this. I waited until he reached through the window, until his fingers brushed her arm looking for a good hold. I grabbed him by the neck and leapt to the roof three stories up where we landed with a low thud. Of course he was terrified by the ice-cold <laughs> fingers wrapped around his throat, bewildered by the sudden flight through the air, confused as to what was happening. But when I spun him around to face me, somehow he understood. He didn't see a man when he looked at me. He saw my empty black eyes, my death pale skin, and he saw judgment. Though he didn't come close to guessing at what I actually was, he was absolutely correct about what was happening. He realized that I had saved the child from him and he was relieved, not hardened like the others, not cold and sure. I didn't, he thought as I lunged. The words were not a defense. He was glad he had been stopped. He had been my only technically innocent victim, the one who had not lived to become the monster. Ending his progression toward evil had been the right thing, the only thing to do. And then Edward thinks about every other person that he killed, and he did not regret their deaths individually because the world was a better place with them gone, but he still doesn't think that that matters. It matters. <laughs> you did the... <laughs> He goes, in the end, blood was just blood. And he doesn't really care. I mean, killing humans keeps him satisfied for a couple days, maybe a few weeks. That's it. And even though he's stubborn, he decides that he would be happier without the human blood. Mm -hmm. And he's very overwhelmed by the amount of people he has killed. So he's like, I can't 
be Batman forever. (laughs) (laughs) I chose the Batman life, but the Batman life didn't choose me. It did not. (laughs) Dang it. He was a good Batman. Mm -hmm. He tells Bella that as time went on, he began to see the monster in his eyes. And so he came back to Carlisle and he remembers them hugging him and how happy they were when he came back. And Bella's also looking at him now, like, (laughs) so cutely, and it's more, he thinks it's more than he deserves. And he says, Bella must have been used to making excuses for me by now. Oh. They got to the door at the end of the hallway, and he says, this is my room, and he opens the door. And he is pretty sure about how she's going to react. She looks at everything. (laughs) Okay, but let's very carefully notice that he does not describe what his bedroom looks like (laughs) (laughs) he goes there's a view of the river lots of shelving a stereo a lack of traditional furniture wall treatments (laughs) he's talking about his couch (laughs) yes Bella looks at the wall treatments and asks if they're good, good acoustics and he just laughs and nods Turns on his sound system, which has hidden speakers in the walls and the ceiling. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about how if you can hide a speaker, you can also hide a, a camera. camera. Yeah. <laughs> Edward Lots of never... angles, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Bella eventually just goes over and starts looking at all of his CDs. And he feels very coolly weird about this because they always spend time in human places doing human things where he's the one he's the outsider and now here she is in his vampire house in his bedroom but he's like she does belong here yeah she always did she always belonged with him (laughs) and also I didn't have to convince her to be here I didn't lie to her she knows everything and she is choosing to be here alone with me she's super comfortable with it there's never even a second of hesitation for her nah she's like how the heck are these organized and he's like year and personal preference (laughs) she looks at him and says what and he goes I'm just so relieved to have you here not having to hide anything from you I knew I would like it but it also makes me happy oh no (laughs) so cute so they smile at each other and she tells him I'm glad and he knows that she's not lying to him he thinks about the pomegranate seeds (laughs) of course blah 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 Edward blah Bella watches his face get a little a little sad and she's like are you waiting for the running and the screaming (laughs) he goes yeah (laughs) And she's like, well, Edward Cullen, I hate to tell you, but you're actually uh, not scary and uh, you've never scared me before. (laughs) And Edward's like, she's getting better at this whole lying thing. Um, And I know that she's just joking to like make keep it light, keep it light, keep it casual. And it kind of worked. It was funny. And I'm going to just keep it going. Better hold on tight, spider monkey. (laughs) (laughs) So he shows her too many of his teeth. (laughs) and says he really shouldn't have said that and he does a joke uh, pounce of her (laughs) getting that smile even bigger he purrs at her she starts to step back you can tell that she's not scared but she is (laughs) 
wary. <laughs> and she tells him, you wouldn't. And he jumps at her. And Do you she think he like notice. shook his little behind legs in his butt right before he pounced? He did a little twerk. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I was thinking, but like you know um, how cats like move their little butts and then they pounce. I I do know what you mean, but I prefer <laughs> that he twerked and then okay. lunged. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he scoops her up, becomes a cage. They collide with the sofa, and. By design, I landed on my back. Bella's like, what the heck? She's trying to figure out how to sit, but he just keeps her in a weird position. So she glares at him and he's like, what were you saying about the whole scary thing? And she's like, yes, you're freaking terrifying. Very scary. (laughs) And then he hears Alice and Jasper coming up the stairs and how Alice is going to ask or invite them to something. And also she's very curious of the sounds of a struggle. Because she wasn't listening. She wasn't paying attention. She was literally giving them privacy. And then she's like, oh, shit, is he really killing her? (laughs) (laughs) Bella's still trying to sit. And he just is laughing that she is still, he was startled her. And then Alice, as (laughs) she's halfway down the hall, asks if they can come in. So Edward sits up, plops Bella on her lap. And he's like, this is fine here. Um, Probably not for the chief, though. (laughs) And he says, come in, as Alice is already in the room. Jasper uh, stays by the door, but Alice sits right in the middle of the rug. And she says, it sounds like you were having Bella for lunch, and we came to see if you would share. (laughs) (laughs) Bella is a confused, looks at Edward. He just smiles, and he goes, nope, I don't have enough to share. And then Jasper... (sighs) Get ready, you guys. Literally. Get ready. (laughs) Jasper followed her into the room, unable to help himself. The emotions inside were nearly intoxicating to him. In this moment, I knew Bella's feelings were just the same as mine, for there was no counterbalance to the atmosphere of bliss that Jasper was getting high on now. When Jasper doesn't have to work to be happy, that's when you know you've reached it. You've reached pure happiness. Couple goals. (laughs) (laughs) He says, actually... Wanting to change the subject so he can regulate his feelings and not be overwhelmed <laughs> by them. Um, he says, Alice says there's going to be a storm tonight. Emmett wants to play ball. Are you game? <laughs> <laughs> he looks over at Alice and Alice does a vision check, makes sure everything is good. Rosalie still decides not to come, but Emmett, of course, is there. Blah, blah, blah. Bella's there. She's happy. And Alice is like, yes, definitely bring Bella, obviously. And Jasper was like, oh, that's news. So he has to like re <laughs> reset his expectations of the evening. And he knows that he's not going to be able to relax like he thought. But experiencing the emotions Bella and I made each other feel, that was a trade he could accept. Oh, dear. <laughs> that's so sweet. It's so cute. Edward asks Bella if she wants to come. And she's like, yes, where? <laughs> Of course. Uh, Never not be with me again. Mm -hmm. He goes, we have to wait for Thunder to play ball. You'll see why. And she asks if she'll need an umbrella. And he laughs because, of course, she just wants to know what the weather is going to be. But Jasper does ask Alice, will she need one? And Alice checks the storms. And she goes, nope, it's going to stay over town. It should be dry enough in the clearing. And so Jasper's like, awesome. 
I'm super stoked to spend more time with Bella and Edward. <laughs> his enthusiasm spread out from his body, infecting the, rex- the rest of us. Bella's expression changed from cautious to eager. <laughs> Alice was like, awesome. I can't wait to hang out with Bella, too. Um, I'm going to go talk to Carlisle and see if he'll come. Who didn't go to the hospital. No, of course. Dr. Snow did not call in sick. <sighs> Carlisle. Carlisle. I got your number. <laughs> And, and Jasper just pokes her and is like, as if, you don't know. Alice is way out the door, but Jasper is following her very slowly. <laughs> and he stops to like slowly close the door behind him just because he wants to stay close to Edward and Bella. And Bella says, what are we playing? And Edward says, you will not be playing. I will be playing baseball. And she looks at him and goes, vampires like baseball? And he says... It's the American pastime. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies. We love to play baseball. Mm -hmm. I know that song. Oh, my goodness. That was quite the trip. We might have to put a trigger warning on that episode. It was, I mean, there's the Carlisle stuff, and then there's the Edward stuff. The Edward stuff, um... Might be a little bit disturbing for some listeners. Yeah, especially if people who don't know that that's going to be in there because it was not in Twilight, obviously. Yeah, um, I'm glad to have it, but it was like I was very disturbed when I realized that the victim would have been a tiny little girl, like the same age as my little girl. So, well, thanks, you guys. Another chapter gone. Oh, no, don't. Uh, Only nine shit left. Shit gets real from here on out, you guys. Yeah, okay, I'm going to start reading the day before. It's fine. <laughs> We're just going to keep going along until it's over. But it's fine. Maybe we'll start over at the beginning when we're done. Just kidding. No, I don't want to do that. Um, Love you guys. You're so wonderful. We'll see you guys here next week. And remember to change out the seasonal covering over Uncle Aro's gift. (laughs) All right. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. You've been remembering Twilight with Marin and Emily. You can stay in touch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Remember Twilight Podcast. Please consider joining us on Patreon for a weekly bonus episode, access to our notes, original artwork, and to connect with our awesome community. You can message us at RememberTwilightPodcast at gmail.com, send us a voice message on Anchor, or leave a review on iTunes. Check out the show notes for all this information and more. Thank you to Stephanie Meyer for sharing her dream and making ours come true.